0: Lights on, I'm good, right? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, it's great to be with y'all tonight, and it's good to be around God's people, greatest people in all the earth, it's the people of the Lord. And we count it an honor and a great privilege to be here with you folks tonight. And uh, we would like to encourage you to go by our table. We we have uh, plenty of CDs, and uh, that's uh, Something that's sort of going out of style, they say, but we still have some. So uh, (laughs) if you'd like to have a CD for your car, your home, we'd like to unload a a few of them tonight. So uh, we have uh, a special rate. Uh, If you buy one, it's $15. But if you buy all four of them, uh, you get them all for $45. And uh, my daughter will be there at the table. We do have some prayer cards. We're in our 21st year of ministry. And uh, we've uh, ministered all the way from Florida to... Excuse me, Alaska, Canada. By the way, uh, several times, and and then we've uh, ministered from uh, Maine to California. So we've crisscrossed the country quite a few times, and the whole continent practically. And uh, it's been a great thrill to serve Jesus. And uh, I highly recommend it. If you're not uh, in full-time service, you ought to be. And you say, "Well, I work a job." Well, you still ought to be in full-time service for Jesus you ought to be a full-time Christian you ought to be a not just a Sunday Christian you ought to be a full-time Christian I don't care what occupation you have because that's why the Lord's got us here to be witnesses for him be testimonies for him to be light and salt in this uh, wicked world this dark place that we live called earth and uh, of course uh, seems like the devil's having his way right now but I tell you uh, there's a time coming when all this is going to be made right and the Lord Jesus is coming soon, and He's gonna after He raptures His church out of here, it's gonna be an awful seven-year tribulation period, but then after rapturing His church out of here, taking us out of here, after the end of seven years tribulations, He's gonna come back with us, with Him, and uh, He's gonna set up His kingdom. Guess what? In Jerusalem, the capital city, And uh, he's going to rule and reign there for the next thousand years. So uh, I tell you what, that might be sooner than you think. Just think, if Jesus were to come tonight and rapture his church out of here just seven years from now, he's going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. (laughs) It's going to be a wonderful time. I think that's when the prophecy and his name shall be called Wonderful. Is going to be fulfilled because those newscasters, they're going to want to interview with King Jesus when they go in there in the throne room and they come back out. Somebody's going to ask them, Well, what did he say? Or what did you think about King Jesus? And they're just going to be speechless. They're just going to say, He's wonderful. (laughs) He's wonderful. And that prophecy will be fulfilled, I believe, in that day. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews tonight. we got a sort of a different message tonight. and something to help us think, I believe, about uh, while we're here. And uh, also life and death. By the way, don't shield your children from the subject of death because... <clears throat> Death is just as much as part of life as life is a part of life. And uh, they need to know, just like everybody needs to know, that there is coming a day when men will die, either that or the rapture. If the Lord comes, uh, we won't have to die, those of us that are saved, but uh, otherwise people are going to die. And let's look at something here in Hebrews chapter 11 that will make us think about eternity, I believe. Hebrews chapter 11, would you stand to your feet as we read just one verse, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the sermon tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Pastor, would you pray for us tonight? Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this uh, wonderful service we've had thus far. We thank you for Brother Rochester and his family, and Lord, the ministry that you have given. Lord, ministering to us, uh, Lord, in music and through your word. And Lord, now uh, Brother Grant opens the word and begins to preach. Father, I pray that you will take this message. I pray, the Lord, that we will be attentive. I pray, the Lord, that we'll open our hearts, we'll be receptive. And, Lord, we'll allow your word to speak to us tonight, Father, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being one of your children. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to be in your house. And, Father, I pray that you'll bless now this message. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You may be seated. Over 100 years ago, in fact, it was April the 10th of 1912, a certain large vessel was launched, had its maiden voyage. And uh, you may have heard of this ship. It's pretty famous. there have been a lot of movies made about this ship. And uh, the advertisement back in 1912 about this particular ship is that it was unsinkable. And that's the only thing it ever did was sink. (laughs) Can anybody tell me the name of that ship? well, we're going to preach about the Titanic tonight. You might say, well, where did you find that in Scripture? I didn't. (laughs) But I did find in the Scripture a ship that was unsinkable. Do you realize the only ship that was ever built by man that was unsinkable was Noah's ark? Why was Noah's ark unsinkable? God was in there. (laughs) When it's time for Noah and his family to come into the ark, You know what the Lord said? He says, Noah, come thou and thy house into the ark. Why did he say come thou and thy house into the ark? Because he was already in there. (laughs) He didn't say go into the ark. He said come thou and thy house. Brother when you go where God is you are gonna be safe. When you get in the ark of God so to speak, you're safe and secure and your boat won't won't sink. <laughs> we can apply that to our soul and to our life. Your soul won't sink either if you're in Jesus. You won't sink into the abyss of hell and hell fire. You'll you'll be secured and and rescued from that if you if you're in the ark of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who represents or uh, the ark represented our Lord Jesus. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the Titanic. This is not your average sermon. I know that. But just bear with me. I'd like to give you some details and some background before we get into some scripture. But uh, you know Titanic, a lot of people are interested in that. In fact, if you go to Pigeon Forge and some other places, they got a museum about the Titanic. We've been there a couple of times. By the way, when you go in there, they'll give you a card and it has a name of a person who sailed on that famous voyage. And uh, I remember the first time I went there, I, they gave me the the uh, card of that guy that was the richest man on board uh, I, his name fails me right John Jacob Astor that was his name right? John Jacob Astor and uh, he was the rich one of the richest men in all the world at that time well <clears throat> at the end of the museum when you come out the other side then they tell you your fate what happened to you you know so I represented John Jacob Astor well uh, I didn't make it <laughs> I, I, I perished. I went down with the ship. And the second time we went through the museum, I was uh, some mate. Uh, he was part of the crew, and I forgot the guy's name, but he survived. He, he didn't perish. But it's interesting as you go through there and uh, see what happened to this person, what happened to that person. And we're going to talk a little bit about that also tonight. But a lot of interest has been growing uh, in the last, what, tw- 20 or 30 years, especially after they finally found the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, An explorer by the name of Robert Ballard back in 1985, they finally found where the Titanic lay on the bottom of the ocean. Well, let's talk about that maiden voyage. April the 10th, 1912, it set sail. You know, the Titanic was almost three football fields long. Pretty big ship for that day, wasn't it? Uh, It had a speed of 22 knots. The cost was uh, $10 million. That don't sound like a whole lot now, does it? But $10 million back in 1912 money, that was a lot of money. And it was constructed in Belfast, Ireland. It took 12,000 men, more than two years, to build it. The company was the White Star Line. And as we said, the keynote word in all the advertisements was that the Titanic was unsinkable. In fact, Bruce Ismay, the chairman of the board, he said this. I cannot imagine any condition that would cause this ship to founder. I cannot imagine any disaster happening to this vessel. He said, modern shipbuilding has come beyond that. (laughs) So, on April the 10th, 1912, 2,200 some odd passengers and crew set sail in the mighty ocean liner Titanic. Now, they were assured of every convenience, every uh, luxury. They were assured of safety. That went without saying, so to speak. They had ballrooms. Think about it. Back in 1912, they had tennis courts. They had barber shops and sauna baths and beauty salons. They had just about anything you can imagine on board. It was sort of like what we would call today a five-star floating palace. One lady had a dread though. Her husband had bought tickets for she and and her daughter and, and himself and they were to the set sail on the Titanic, but she got worried about it and she told her husband, she said, I'm not so sure about getting on that ship. He said, Why? It's, it's the greatest ship's ever been built. It's it's unsinkable. I mean you have nothing to worry about. It's wonderful. It's elegant. It's everything that you could imagine. And uh she said, that's that's the very thing that bothers me. She said, when they say that that ship is unsinkable, she says, I think that flies in the face of God when they say that. <laughs> and boy, her dread was justified, was it not? But that ship did sink. So they set sail on April the 10th, 1912. So three or four days went by. April the 14th rolled around. That night was a brilliant beautiful sky, sort of like uh, stars shining like candelabra in in the dark sky. And a lady by the name of Miss Harris, who survived, she said, we were out on a lark, and revelry was the keynote. The weather, it was superb. The comfort and the luxury aboard were all that had been promised. The days passed too quickly. I felt as if I could go on until the end of time. They were having a wonderful time on the Titanic. The watchman came out that night he said all is well and the lights are burning brightly but soon however those lights would go out that very night they thought they were saved they didn't know about any danger on the horizon but uh, this was in spite of the fact that Captain Smith knew about some icebergs he had been getting reports about some icebergs in the area, but he still kept the ship at full throttle, full speed ahead, 22 knots. Now, can you see the Titanic? She's a beautiful vessel, if you've ever seen pictures of it. And she's gliding through that slickest glass, ebony North Atlantic Sea, when all of a sudden the unthinkable happens. She struck an iceberg. Miss Cosmo Duff Gordon survivor she said it felt as though someone had drawn a giant finger along the side of that ship but even after they hit the iceberg no alarms were sounded at first I mean gradually the news began spreading throughout the ship but the passengers they felt a little jostle, but uh, nobody was thrown about violently or anything like that they just felt a little something when they hit the iceberg and so soon soothing words were being given to the passengers that uh, you know they were hearing about hitting the iceberg but you know everything's been taken care of I mean don't worry about it just go back to whatever you were doing because indeed this ship is <laughs> so even after they hit the iceberg <clears throat> many people went back to their dancing or their card playing or their fantasies amuse- amusements of music whatever they were in involved with before the iceberg they went back to that so between 1140 that night and 1245 a.m. Captain Smith began getting reports of the real disaster that had happened below you see these watertight compartments so-called watertight compartments weren't so watertight as the first uh, compartment filled up with water it spilled over into the second compartment and then the second compartment filled over into the third and then into the fourth and then into the fifth captain smith pulled in the engineer who had helped design the titanic he said what's the verdict <laughs> he said captain we're going to we're going to sink he said how long it's about 2 hours and so at 12:45 a.m. Captain Smith fired the first of eight distress rockets. At first, they had no response, no wireless response whatsoever from ships in the area. And finally, the Carpathia, the ship named Carpathia, responded to their call for help and was en route to the Titanic. But the trouble was the Carpathia was about three and a half hours away. Too long. Too far so Captain Smith ordered the lifeboat to be lowered. You know, even at this point, many passengers were reluctant to leave the safety of this and the comfort of this huge vessel to be dropped down 70, 80, 90 feet into the <laughs> dark ocean into these little tiny, compared to the Titanic, these tiny wooden boats. And uh, sadly enough, there were only uh, enough lifeboats to uh, accommodate about half of the people on board. They don't do that anymore. (laughs) And you know, very few of these lifeboats were even filled to capacity. And the rule back in 1912 was women and children first. I wonder what it would be today in our day of feminism. (laughs) I wonder what it would be. Finally, 130 rolls around. 1.30 a.m., April the 15th. By that time, this dream cruise has turned into a nightmare. Now people are starting to crowd into the lifeboats, the ones that haven't been launched yet. There's a lot of rudeness. There's a lot of shoving going on. There are some heroes. We'll talk about one of them in a moment. You know, some men even disguise themselves as women in order to get into the lifeboats. Now they're disguising themselves as women to get in the women's bathrooms, aren't they? But uh, that's another life. That's another sermon altogether. (laughs) Well, times have changed, haven't they? Can you see now these lifeboats? As they're now sort of circling the dying vessel, sort of like a family that would gather around a hospital bed of a dying loved one. And there they are. Out in the lifeboats, the people that are out in the water, and there they are watching the Titanic as she slowly slips down bit by bit into the water, and there they are in stunned unbelief. And then finally, they see the ship as it shudders, they see the ship as it heaves, and then they see the ship as it broke in two. The bow broke off and went down first. And then about a minute later at 2.20 a.m. The rest of the ship, the stern, slithered slithered down into its watery grave about two and a half miles down below the surface. Now those people out there in the lifeboats, there's, there's no light. Now the lights have gone out. They're in darkness. Now they're hearing the agonizing wails and cries and screams of those who are either drowning or are dying of hypothermia. By the way when we went to the museum they had some cold water in a in a trench there that you could stick your hand in and it was uh, the same temperature that the water was that night in the Atlantic Ocean guess what that temperature was? 28 degrees. Brother you didn't want to keep your hand in that water very long and uh, the atmospheric temperature was 32 degrees but the water was 28 degrees. Can you imagine swimming around in that water? They said you only had 15 minutes to stay conscious. Even if you had a life jacket and you were swimming around, you only had 15 minutes to stay conscious. 30 minutes you would be dead because your blood would freeze. By the way, it was also discovered that a lot of people, when the ships came later to recover the dead bodies in the water, that they found out that a lot of people hadn't just drowned. They had died from broken necks. They had these life jackets made out of some cork type material and when they would jump from 80 and 90 feet from the stern or whatever uh, when they would hit the water their life jackets would go up with such a thrust, with such a force that it would break their necks. So a lot of people were dead as soon as they hit the water. I thought that was interesting. And there they are in the ships watching these people and hearing these dying wails and moans. You see, the impossible has happened. The so-called unsinkable ship has sunk and of the approximate 2,200 passengers and crew, only 712 would survive. Now we get to the message. What's wrong with this story? Do you think there might have been some attitudes back in that day if they had been properly addressed, that this whole tragedy could have been avoided? I think so. What were some attitudes back in 1912? What well, The first attitude I think they had back in that day was a false confidence. I think they had a false confidence back in 1912. You see back in 1912 now, it might be hard to imagine now with all the technology and the stuff that we've seen come to pass but back in 1912 you think man just a few years before they were all riding in horse and buggies and now they had this horseless carriage that (laughs) they could ride around with a motor (laughs) and uh, the horseless carriage had been invented are you talking about technical advancement now from what the people were used to you remember those two Ohio brothers uh, those uh, Wright brothers I mean in 1903 they had invented the first successful self-propelled motor airplane. Uh, You talk about technical advancement, prosperity, and then along came the Titanic in 1912. You talk about a structural marvel for that time period. I mean it was a great engineering feat. It was the object of great pride. The Titanic was an object of great beauty and I think the owners of the White Star Line, the company, I think their main problem was that they failed to remember God Psalm 127 one says except the Lord build the house I think you could include ship also except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it even the name Titanic was a bad choice of words it was named after the pagan Greek gods the mighty titans those pagan gods of mythology the supreme So called rulers of the universe and the mighty titans, they called them. Now's where the mighty titanic is sitting down 13,000 feet below the surface of the water in the North Atlantic Sea. What is man trying to be? What is man trying to endeavor? Man is always endeavoring to reach higher, (laughs) to achieve higher. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, not in of itself. But too often man's achievements are for the wrong reasons. Instead of to glorify God, (laughs) I'm afraid most of the time it's to glorify man. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You know something that we're all guilty of tonight is that five-letter word, P-R-I-D-E. That's what started it all, wasn't it? <laughs> Why the serpent told Eve says, you take of this fruit, you'll be as God. That was the temptation, was pride. You'll be like God. And so that's where we all, and you know what is pride? Well, it's re- refusing to admit, admit that we're wrong. You, you won't get saved until you humble yourself. Do you know that? <laughs> until you... Admit that you're wrong and God is right. That's what repentance is. is agreeing with God against yourself. <laughs> and so, uh, I tell you, man is always trying to achieve, but he's trying to achieve for his own glory. What else is pride? It's putting trust in other things besides God. It's easy to do that, isn't it? We're all prone to that. To put our trust in other things before we put our trust in God. You know, the people on board the Titanic were probably by and large no more godless than most of the people in the world today. In fact, they might have been a better people by and large than what we see today. But in their case, let me say, that in the case of the people on the Titanic, their foolishness, God just made it real spectacular. He showed them how foolish their thinking was, the folly of why it's unsinkable. Why, if you could put your faith in anything, it had to be the Titanic, right? But all it took was one big chunk of ice to prove how foolish their thinking really was. People live today as if they think they're just going to live on forever. I mean... We're going to die. That big chunk of ice is coming our way. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? You know, uh, there's only one that should have our complete faith and trust, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. Now, people are trusting just about anything before they'll trust Jesus today. They're trusting their wealth. If not that, they're trusting their health. They're trying to stay fit. Now, I'm not against exercise, but Paul did say that bodily exercise profiteth little. I mean, we got multiple airbags on our cars today, and them things can kill you. <laughs> did you know that? I got a, what do you call a recall thing? Uh, what do you call them things you get in the mail? Uh, trying to get me to bring my car back in to the Acura place because of something supposed to be faulty about the air bags. It has killed some people. The way it exploded, <laughs> I ain't got it fixed yet. Y'all pray for me. I'm still <laughs> still riding around in that car. I not got it fixed. I ain't got, can't find an Acura dealer close enough around for one thing. Anyway, Bigger Barnes, the rich man, you remember, he thought Bigger Barnes would take care of all his problems. People put their faith in most, the Titanic or what, I don't know what you're putting your faith into tonight, but I tell you what, they don't count for anything (laughs) when you hit that big iceberg. Well, to trust the Lord for everything, not just the big things in life, but also the little things. When you get sick, do you pray first (laughs) or do you get on the phone Get an appointment with a doctor. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm ringing somebody's telephone tonight. (laughs) Who are you putting your trust in? Well, we better put our complete confidence in our Lord. We need to keep our faith in the Lord for the little things in life and also the big things. I believe back in 1912, they had a big fault. They had a false confidence. They thought they had the tiger by the tail, so to speak. Well, <laughs> we're we're about right back there, aren't we? Our nation, our world's just like that today. Not only that, I think they had a lack of watchfulness, a lack of preparedness. You know, the owners and the crew and the passengers on board, on the whole, I don't think they were. Hardly anybody was thinking about the inevitable. There might have been a few. You know, there were seven preachers on board, preachers of the gospel. Pastor, I found this to be interesting. All seven preachers of the gospel went down with the ship. We're going to talk about one of them in a moment, John Harper. But uh, most of the people, by and large, on board, I don't think they were thinking about the inevitable. What is the inevitable? Death? (laughs) preaching about Elimelech and the story of Ruth the other day and the old devil probably you know when Elimelech decided to uproot his family and leave Bethlehem Judah and go down to Moab the de- the devil had there was supposed to be a famine coming and so the devil had probably whispered something like this uh, to Elimelech man uh, a man's got to live you know what that was a lie you ain't gotta live. But I tell you one thing, you gotta die. Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after that the judgment. Brother, you ain't gotta live. <laughs> but you do gotta die. That ain't good English, I know, but you <laughs> You gotta die. Are you prepared? That's the question tonight. These people, they had a lack of watchfulness and preparedness. Jesus talks about in Matthew, we won't go there tonight, but he talks about in Matthew 24, the consequences of pride and arrogance. You know what the consequences of pride and arrogance is? It's always destruction. Always destruction. Amos 4.12, I like this. If I had only one message to preach, this would be it. that minor prophet. I don't know why we call them minor prophets. They're pretty big in my book. (laughs) He said, prepare to meet thy God. Isn't that a message? Prepare to meet thy God was his message. You know two things in scripture I believe will always move the heart of God. You say, well, I want to move God my way. What are you going to do to move God your way? I only know two things in Scripture always that will move God. (laughs) Positive in your favor. The first one is repentance. I don't know of one time in the Bible where somebody truly repented of sin where it didn't move the heart of God. Do you? I think about Jonah. He went down there and preached to those Ninevites. He didn't even want to go. He didn't even want them to get saved. And God redirected him. He ended up down there anyhow. And he preached to those Ninevites. And you know what? The Bible says from the king down to the lowest person in the kingdom, they all repented in sackcloth and ashes and got right with God. (laughs) And God held back his judgment that he would have sent. God honored that when they repented. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise. You want to move the heart of God? Try repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 9, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner. What's the other thing that will move the heart of God? Not only repentance. But faith, faith always moves the heart of God. We just read it a while ago, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, not of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. By faith, the Bible says, by faith, Noah ended up in this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because he moved by faith. Romans 4.3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I told you I'd give you some stories of some heroes. I'll give you one. This is a particularly interesting story about a man named John Harper. He was a 39-year-old, Scottish-born, Baptist preacher, on board the Titanic. He was on his way to the great Moody Church in Chicago to preach. And after hitting the iceberg, John Harper got his six-year-old daughter Nina and his niece who was watching Nina, a girl by the name of Jessie. he got those two girls into a lifeboat. And then they said it was reported that John Harper began running throughout the ship yelling, Women! Children and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. They said he began witnessing to anyone who would listen to him. He even t- continued to preach after he jumped into the water. He even threw his life jacket to another person, he was sitting there in the water clinging to a piece of wreckage. And Harper's final moments were recounted by one of only six survivors who were picked up by lifeboats out of the icy 28 degree water. This is what this survivor said. He said, I was drifting alone on a spar that night when the tide brought Mr. Harper, also on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. John Harper replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. (laughs) The man said, Then the waves bore John Harper away, but strange to say brought him back a little later and he said again, Are you saved now? (laughs) He said, No. I cannot honestly say that I am. John Harper again said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And with that, shortly after, the man saw John Harper's head go down below the water, and he said, There, alone in the night, and with two miles of water under me, I believed. He said, I am John Harper's last convert. What's something in the pastor, I mean He's getting ready to die himself, he's still witnessing other people. We don't have much of an excuse, do we? Senator Friend, are you ready? I mean,. If COVID don't get you, I ain't trying to be humorous. Something else is. <laughs> I'm not trying to be, we're going to die. It don't matter about anything other than, are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you prepared to meet God? James said in 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away the Bible says behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation you know we're all just one test result from facing death we're all just one curb away from stepping in front of a truck or a car we're all just one street away from that fatal we heard a preacher pastor preach this morning he was a guest preacher where we were singing and uh, he had been involved in a, a, a t-bone of where he was crossing the he was going through a light and a, and a, a big semi ran his light and t-boned him right in the side and he he, he had a terrible concussion and he's back to preaching again but he, He has a speech impediment, they say. He did all right this morning preaching, but, you know, his his life was just that close to eternity. You know, we're in the midst of a people that the Bible talks about. They're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage just like it was in the day of Noah. And then the flood came. in the midst of eating and drinking, I'm sure, on the luxurious Titanic, the end came. So we need to be watchful we need to be prepared because death is coming Halifax Nova Scotia where many victims of the Titanic disaster are buried a memorial was set up listing all the passengers in two columns you know when they set up that memorial it was not uh, divided by rich or poor. I mentioned John Jacob Astor IV. He was the richest man on board. Uh, they're not divided by rich or poor. The, there was a poor man on board by the name of Frank Goldsmith. He traveled in third class. You know what third class was? That was down there where the luggage was. <laughs> he was just trying to get across to the new world. It's not divided by age either. There was a Captain Edward Crosby on board, 70 years old. There was a young boy age one Richard Becker on board not divided by rich or poor not divided by age not divided by man or woman Roderick Chisholm from Ireland was on board a woman by the name of James Mrs. James Joseph Brown from Denver Colorado she was on board it's not divided that way either well you might say well how how is this memorial how are the names divided on this memorial it's real simple they were either in the saved column or they were in the lost column isn't that how the Lord's final tally is gonna be it's gonna be real simple you're either gonna be on the saved column or you're gonna be on the lost column you know Jesus was my favorite preacher because Jesus didn't have to have three points necessarily. He didn't have to have ten points in the sermon. He didn't have to have five. Most time he only had two points. He said, you're either with me or against me. He said, you're either a good tree that bringeth forth good fruit or you're a corrupt tree that bringeth forth evil fruit. He says, you're either on the narrow road that leads to life eternal or you're on the broad way that leads to destruction. Jesus says you're either on my right hand or my left. Jesus says you're either a sheep or a goat. We could go on and on and on with these two-point sermons that Jesus preached. But I'm glad he preached that way where we could get a hold of it, where we could understand. I hope you're prepared to meet the Lord. I've got another sermon about Noah's Ark. That truly unsinkable ship, but we won't take time to preach that one tonight. I scared you though, didn't I? I scared you on that one. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this good day that you've given us. Lord, I I first said, I'm not trying to scare these people, but Lord. Lord, you scared me one day. It wasn't the preacher who scared me, though. It was the Holy Spirit who just sort of opened the door of hell and let me look down into it and sort of like he let me swing out over at a time or two. and and Lord, I knew that if I didn't get saved, I could drop off into that terrible place called hell that very night. And I thank you, Lord, that I got saved, that you, Lord, wooed me to yourself, that you spoke to me in a definite, Lord, determined way. And Lord, I answered your call and I, Receive Jesus that night. I pray Lord if there's someone like that here tonight Lord we don't know when death is coming. Lord I'm not trying to scare but I pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work and Lord it's not going to get real to people until you show them how real it really is. I pray that you do that. Lord it may be a child, maybe maybe 80 year old person that's live their whole life and somehow or another missed out on this thing called salvation. Lord, maybe they, maybe they lay hold to Jesus tonight. Receive you. Lord, receive that free gift that you provided, Lord, by your salvation you purchased by your own precious blood on the cross. Lord, when you said it is finished, it was truly salvation's wonders plan was done. And Lord, you paid it all. We thank you for that. Lord, help people to see, Lord, their lost condition. Lord, we, I preach every week just about somewhere, and I, I can't make people to see their lost condition, but I know the Holy Spirit can. I pray, Lord, that you would convict and save the lost. Lord, help us that are saved to be seeking the lost, like the song we sang a while ago says that we ought to be trying to help people understand the gospel and be saved. Help us to be diligent about that until Jesus comes. Bless this time of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name.